So Lord, you reign. You reign over everything. There's nothing outside of your control. There's nothing that catches you off guard. You have a perfect plan. Your timing is perfect. And though we don't always see it, God, we declare with our hearts right now, we declare with our lips that you are faithful. Help us in our unbelief. You are faithful, God. Speak to our hearts, oh God, through your word. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Man, you need to sign up for the uh, men's retreat. And you saw the date of it up there. I remember it. It's the last weekend of January. And I don't know if that's this next weekend or the next, but you, you can look on a calendar and find out. Uh, remember, it's not about the chili, men. It's not about who's going or who's not. It's not about what the food's going to be. It's not about what the program's going to be. What it is about is... Men coming together, learning more about Jesus, getting to know each other, and becoming a stronger body of believers. And so ladies need to meet with ladies at times, and men need to meet with men. So excuses, you need to throw them away. You need to avoid them. Yep, there's probably going to be some ornery men there because we have ornery men. There's probably going to be some crazies there because we have lots of crazy men. There's going to be some real imperfect men there. The perfect men we don't allow to come. The only men we allow to come are the imperfect men. So you need to come. Now, you need to sign up because they need to figure out how much beef we're going to have, which is not about the beef, but it's always good. All right? Or whatever we're going to have. Okay. So that's the men's retreat coming up. We're talking about encouragement. I have an assignment in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I am to teach and urge these things. The word urge in the English Standard Version is very, very close to the word encourage. So I am to teach and encourage these things. I am to teach and encourage sound teaching, sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. I am to teach you as a congregation to be godly, to pursue godliness, to, to want to be godly. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I am to teach it and I'm to urge it. I'm to persuade, I'm to plead, I'm to encourage, I'm to shout, I'm to, I'm to scream, I'm, I'm to whisper, I'm to question, I'm, I'm to motivate to the best of my abilities every time we gather together that you will attempt, act, will yourself, you will make yourself available to walk in godliness. Okay, to walk in godliness. Contentment is a difficult process to obtain. But the process of contentment is, is a result of our pursuits, of our cravings, of our desires. Our cravings to be in the right place and our desires to be in the right place. For you see, only the Lord Jesus satisfies. 
Only the Lord Jesus satisfies. Nothing else satisfies. Not only does the Lord Jesus satisfy, he really does satisfy. And he satisfies better than anything. There's no idol out there. There's no uh, philosophy out there. there. There's no mindset out there. There's no way of being, way of doing, way of thinking that satisfies better than Jesus does. So you need to find that to be for you, that he satisfies for you, that you're not always thinking, I should have more. This is not enough. Your cravings cause you to never be satisfied with what you have, satisfied with your life, and satisfied with the way things are now. Think about this for a moment. When you're never satisfied as a believer, okay? Now, as an unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever, this is very difficult for you because you must become a believer first before you'll discover that Jesus satisfies. But as a believer, if you're never satisfied, what does that say about the Lord? What does that, exp what, what does that mean about your relationship with him if you're never satisfied? If you want more all the time, if you want different all the time, if, if, if you pray that the Lord will, will provide whatever it is you're praying for, and the Lord provides whatever you're praying for, and then you're not happy with it. What does that say about your acknowledgement of him, your belief in him, your trust in him, right? What does that say? It says that there's, a, there's an emptiness there. There's a misdirection there. There is an attitude adjustment that maybe you need to have. And I'm supposed to teach that and encourage that. Now, this is what godliness is. Godliness is that, that position in God that only God can bring. Godliness, first of all, comes through your believing that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. You are born again. You believe in him. You trust in him. You, you agree. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You confess, you acknowledge, you agree, you receive him. It, it is a, a, a time of confession and a time of repentance. And that's the beginning to godliness. And you trust in what he's done for you. You believe in what he's done for you. And then you begin to grow in godliness. Okay? Godliness is more love, more faith, more grace, more gentleness, more kindness, right? You begin to forgive. You have grace for other people. You, you have a gentleness about you. you. You get over yourself quicker and better. You're not full of yourself anymore. You don't, you don't allow yourself to get involved in useless hang-ups in relationships. You're stronger in that because Jesus completely satisfies, and he does satisfy, and his grace is sufficient to meet all our needs. I'm to urge you in that. I'm to encourage you in that. I'm to teach you to do that. I wonder how that old boy's doing. How's that rascal pastor of yours doing? Well, Paul says here in verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up. Your preacher 
is puffed up if he is not teaching the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is puffed up with conceit. He is full of himself. He thinks he knows better. He thinks that his philosophy is better than the philosophy that comes through Jesus Christ. That no good rascal. Why in the world is he doing that? He is preaching for his own gain. He is preaching so that he gets benefited from it. He's not really concerned with you. If, if, if your preacher, you know him, he's right before you. If your preacher is not teaching to receive the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to pursue godliness with all your heart, then he understands nothing. And you're struggling with that now because you're not sure that your preacher understands anything. Maybe he is that way. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. He enjoys that theological controversy. He enjoys which way of man is the best, which way of man, which philosophy of man, which way of man really does satisfy. He avoids that foolish conversation that Jesus Christ is the way that completely satisfies, and he comes up with all kinds of different ways of being satisfied in this life, to be content in this life. And what follows him is envy, dissensions, slander, evil suspicions, that's verse 4, and constant friction among people who were depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. I mean, if you appear to be godly, if you appear to be Christian, in some circles, you can get some money from that, right? I mean, you can appear to be a Christian. You can appear to be a believer in Christ. And, you know, if you run for office, you'll put that in your brochure, right? If you have a company, you'll let people know that you're a faith business, that you believe in Christ, somehow or another. You know, if it's in your favor, then you'll let it slip out that, you know, you kind of you kind of secretly believe in Christ, right? And and that's what they do. That's what that preacher does for his own gain. Well, those are strong words. And so when I read those words, those words are not written for you, they're written for me. And I read them and I go, holy cow, am I content? Am I content? Am I completely satisfied in Jesus Christ? Am am I teaching the truth? Because there's really a consequence here of me not teaching the truth, and that is you will not find that godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what Paul lines out for Timothy. And so the role of the preacher is really important to you experiencing contentment, that Jesus really satisfies. And so, whoa, that's for me. And so I got to stew with that. I got to deal with that. Now, I think I'm content with life. I, am, I really believe Jesus really satisfies. I experience it. I am a, I mean, I am, I really believe, I trust. But man, what do I need to repent of? What do I need to confess? What do I need to acknowledge? Because at the end of the day, what I want for you is that you experience 
godliness with contentment, that it's a wonderful thing. And I want you to be content. So, in this teaching of contentment that we have, you've got the preacher's responsibility right there. Then, we've got verses 1 and 2. Because it says here in verse 2, the last part of verse 2, teach and urge these things. And so these things is what has just been said and what is about to be said. So that's a good way of looking at the interpreting the Scripture there. Make, to paying attention, urge these things. What things? Well, here's one of the things that I need to earn, urge, verses 1 and 2. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants, that slaves. The word bondservant can either mean slaves without pay or slaves with pay. Okay? In our day and time, it means you're an employee of an employer. Okay? Now, you might be a volunteer and you need to have the same attitude towards your employer in that volunteer relationship. So you kids that are asked to take out the trash, you are to take out the trash for the glory of God. You ought to sing on your way out to the trash site. You ought to rejoice. If it smells bad, thank the Lord. That's what you're to do because you are a slave at that particular time, and you might as well admit between the age of birth and until you can pay your way, by gosh, you're a slave, and you need to live with it, love it, and get over with it, and quit all this rights thing and, and, and obnoxiousness. And so some of us, you might have a slave that is 30 years old, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own master as worthy of all honor. How do you treat your employer? Man, that's quite an interesting example for contentment, isn't it? Could it be that what Paul is telling Timothy here is, you know, one of the hardest places to really be content is when you're a slave. That makes sense to me. And it's really difficult if you're a slave to a master to... Treat them in a way that they have all honor. That's what Christians are to do. That's how we're to be. If, if you are an employee, then you are to treat your employer with all honor. That's what Christians do because of Jesus completely satisfies. Our satisfaction doesn't come through the work. Our satisfaction doesn't come through how we're treated. Our satisfaction doesn't come through us being honored. Our satisfaction comes through Jesus Christ. So we can be an employee and, and we can be happy. We can work for a living and be happy. Now that's foreign thinking, isn't it? I mean, aren't we kind of conditioned? Off to work I go, to pay the bills I go. It's time for me to be miserable, right? I mean, that's the way a lot of people view work. That's not to be how we as believers are. I'm supposed to teach you and urge you that. I'm supposed to teach you that quit being petty and quit being childish at work. Be a man, be a lady, be mature, be strong. Be a true believer at work. 
and let everybody know at work that you're a believer in Christ and that you honor your employer. And make it so that your employer, when it comes to hiring people, they want to hire Christian people. Because having a Christian employee is a good thing. Because they work hard, they, don't, they complain less, and they're dependable because their contentment comes through Jesus Christ. And so if you've got a good employer, that's how you're to respond. Now, it says in verse 2, those who have believing masters. Ah, so the first master was an unbelieving master, a scoundrel of an employer, a cheater of a man, this a deplorable human being, a human being that's not worth killing. How do you treat them with all honor? So it's not based on how good the employer is. It's based on who satisfies you. And you are to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what the employer's opinion is of you. You are the Lord's child, the Lord's disciple, the Lord's ambassador. And, and for the glory of the Lord, you're going to live for him. And so you are to treat that scoundrel with honor. Because it says those who have a believing master must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers rather than they must serve all the better those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. That's what I think is going on here. I think that what's going on here is that Paul recognizes that being a slave is one of the hardest things there is in life. We're not slaves. Maybe one of the hardest things in life for us today is that we are employees and we serve our employer, our master, as if we are fully content in Jesus Christ. Fully content in Jesus Christ. That's what the Scripture says. Contentment at work is good for the soul. Contentment at work is good for the, the, the testimony of who Christ is, isn't it? What an opportunity we have, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, to be content with Jesus and live that way. And then he gives us the main ingredient here in verse 6. This is the benefit to you and to me. Verse 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Godliness, growing in Christ, becoming more like Christ, growing more in the fruits of the Spirit, growing more in obedience, growing deeper in worship and acknowledgement, living for Him with all of your heart. And, and, and by faith, that faith begins to grow, and, and, and your relationship with God gets deeper and closer, and, and you begin to be more godly than you were. It doesn't mean you're full of yourself. It means you're less of yourself and more of God in you. And when godliness is Coupled with contentment. Man, there's nothing better than that. It's the way we're made to be. It's we're wired to be that way. way. I mean, think about all the pain and all the cruelty and, and, man, just all the junk that goes on when people aren't content. When, when uh, leaders don't have enough money, 
what happens? They invade. When leaders are not respected, what happens? They harm other people, right? It's been going on forever. I mean, you know, companies that, that are not content with how much they're making, they'll walk on people to get what they want. That's not to be us. It's a good thing to be content with what you have. Godliness with contentment is a good thing. It's not about how much money you got. It's how much faith you've got and who's provided what you've got. You're content with it because Jesus completely satisfies. And he tells us here, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, this is kind of interesting, kind of good. This really gets down to the real nitty-gritty of things and talks about what we're created for and what we're not created for. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. Isn't that true? That's really true, isn't it? Did you know that uh, when kids are born, they don't have anything? Did you know that? It's kind of a rare piece of information that not everybody knows. The Regeers baby didn't have anything on him. Honor, sorry, I said the pink over there. Did I get it wrong? Is it a boy or a girl? We don't know. It's a girl. Blessed, sweet little girl, by the way. Yeah, when she was born, she didn't have anything with her. Was she naked? She was naked when she was born. She had any teeth? No teeth when she was born. Have any hair? Oh, I hate that when kids have more hair than I got. Isn't it interesting? The Bible is kind of relative that we brought nothing into the world. They knew that when people were born, they didn't have any with them. And look at it, it says, we can't take anything out of the world. Did you, did you know that if you buy a suit from the, the funeral place, it won't have back pockets in it? You know that? You didn't know that? You didn't, y'all know that? Yeah. Go if you want to have, go go to the funeral place and get you a suit. There's no pockets in a suit. Do y'all know why? You can't take anything with you. And, and you know, I, 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 you know, I've seen it at funerals. People walk by and they'll put a note in there. That's really nice and things like that. And but, I mean, you know, they're not really taking it with them because their body's gone dead. And so we are preconditioned that the things of this world don't satisfy. And so God set it up. So we come into the world with nothing and we go out with nothing. And whatever we do with the dash depends on whether or not we're content for life or not. And what a beautiful thing it is to be content with life. What a great day it was. What did you do? I worked, had problems, had challenges, had issues. Well, why was that a great day? Because Jesus is alive and he's my Lord and he's on the throne of God and he has got everything going for me. When I die, I'm going to have everything. And although I'm surrounded by all kinds of hiccups and hurdles and, and, and hangups and issues and I'm not perfect and I struggle, Jesus is enough. He has forgiven me. He has died for me. He has given me eternal life. And so for all of eternity, which is really longer than my short time span, I'm going to spend all of eternity with no tears, no hurt, no funerals, no sickness, no time restraints, no issues. And so 
I can endure a short period of time because he completely satisfies. And, and I think that's what he's saying here. You brought nothing in the world. You don't take anything out of the world. He says in verse 8, do you believe this? I wonder if you believe this or not. The, the, is Paul really speaking the word of the Lord here? I want to know that, you know, because he says in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing with ease, we will be content. You've got to be kidding me. What about a PlayStation what about a 70-inch TV the Cowboys are going to play today? You mean to tell me that I can enjoy that game with a little bitty TV? You can't enjoy the game today because of their kicker. But you can enjoy the game with a little bitty TV. They're going to have to score 10 touchdowns because of the kicker. I'm not discontent nor frustrated. I am content. Jesus completely satisfies. But we can, we can have just food and clothing and with these be content. Because of Jesus, we can have nothing and be content because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can be the lowest ranking member of your corporation and be content because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can you can be passed over for promotion after promotion after promotion. Everybody can think you're a moron and be completely satisfied and content. And you can go home at night, and if you've got a chair somewhere, you can sit in that chair and sip some iced tea. If you have enough money to buy a bag of tea, buy one a month and sit on that front porch or back porch or just sit in the road or wherever you would sit under a tree somewhere and enjoy the blessings of God. Because it doesn't matter what you have or don't have here in this world because you came in this world with nothing and you'll leave with nothing, but Jesus completely satisfies. I'm supposed to teach you that and urge you that, so I'm going to teach you that and urge you that because I want to be right with the Lord today. I'm going to encourage you. If you're not living for God, you're making the mistake. If you're halfway in it, if you're just entertaining religion as a you know, a, a, just an afterthought. If, if the first thing that goes away is Bible study and prayer and going to church and being with God's people, and you're really not focused on godliness with the contentment, you need to wake up because you're not experiencing the contentment that is of great gain, and you're missing out. Then he goes on to say, look, so the next thing that we struggle with is money. Look in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The world is full of story after story, isn't it? The desire to be wealthy destroyed that guy. The desire to have more than they've ever had destroyed their time. Their family fell apart. Right? They spent all their time trying to make a bigger dollar, a bigger dollar, a bigger dollar, getting a bigger house, a bigger house, a bigger house, better vacations, better vacations. And, and they spent all the time at work, all the time just going for the mighty dollar, and their kids never saw them, and the kids turned to all kinds of other means to be nurtured to be mentored, and they were influenced away from what the parents wanted. 
right? An old Chevy's enough. An old Ford is enough. You can live off beans. We did in seminary, we lived off pinto beans. Because you could go in there and you could buy a dollar's worth and it'd be two or three pounds back then. That goes a long way. You can beg for some garlic powder, put it in there. You can live well. But if you have these desires to be wealthy, 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 and it's out of control, destruction, senseless and harmful desires, plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's bad. Money is evil. No, that's not what it says there, is it? It says, for the love of money. There's nothing wrong with having money. What's wrong is when that's all that matters. It's a beautiful thing when God blesses your labors, and it's up to God, and God provides more than you need. There's a reason why that, because he wants you to be faithful with giving to meet needs. That's why he gave you the money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. All kinds of evils happen when people love money. So we are to have the right relationship with money. And if we have a right relationship with money, we've got it in the right spot. We don't have to have more. We don't have to have more than anybody else. We don't have to one-up people with money. It's just the provision of the Lord, and we are thankful for the provision of the Lord. Then we experience satisfaction is with Jesus Christ. That's why godliness with contentment is great gain. For it's okay to have money. It's not okay to be a tightwad. It's not okay to, that's your self-image. It's not okay to use your money to hurt people. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So the word of the Lord says, that one of the reasons people walk away from the things of the Lord, and we know from the rich young ruler that one of the reasons why people avoid Jesus Christ is because of their things, their money, and it gets in the way. If you live for what you got, if you live for what you can make, if you live for your money, then you're going to miss out on godliness with contentment is great gain. Let us pray. Lord, may we be receptive to your word. May your Holy Spirit convict. May we confess and repent of our sin. Convict, confess and repent of our bad attitude today, perhaps, of not lining up with your word. Help us, Lord, with all of our heart to pursue godliness and contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.